Training camp is nearly upon us here in the NFL season. The Seahawks with nine open camp dates for fans to attend and check out the 2023 Seahawks. We'll be breaking down the schedule and sharing some memories from our experiences covering training camp on our Thursday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, the host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, as well as Dallas Cooper, the three amigos here on our Thursday episode. We'll continue our 90-man countdown. We're going to continue our training camp preview on defense with a new look, I guess you could say new look linebacking core, some familiar faces coming back, some new faces as well. Going to be looking at that group to see where they stack up to last year's linebacker group and much more jam-packed episode coming your way. So without further ado, let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on our Thursday edition of Locked on Seahawks. We now have officially 10 weeks until the first regular season game in the NFL, which means just one thing. Training camp is getting really close. We're now less than a month away from the start of Seahawks training camp. In fact, they released their starting day yesterday. July 25th will be reporting day for both veterans as well as rookies. The Seahawks have started doing that the last couple of years. Instead of having rookies show up early, everybody shows up at the same time. Let's just get started as a unit, as a team. And then they will have nine open camp dates. And What's interesting about this, Rob, is that normally, at least back in the day when the Seahawks were competing for Super Bowls and they were in the heyday of the Legion of Boom, if you wanted to attend training camp as a fan, you better get your ticket within five minutes after they went online. And yet here we are more than a week since they released these tickets and eight of the nine open camp dates still have tickets available. I just can't believe that I'm saying that more than a week after these tickets became available, Rob. Yeah, I think it is a little bit surprising, as you said, Corbin. Uh, you know, when the Seahawks were at their, you know, kind of the peak of their popularity there for a few years, then it, it felt like the the training camp uh, seats or, or opportunities to, to go to training camp basically were scooped up within five minutes. I mean, it was as big as a concert or something like that, uh, as a Taylor Swift concert, excuse me, or something like that. Um, you know, nowadays, I think that it's just this is a reflection of two things. I think, for one, I think there's a lot of questions that a lot of fans have about the Seahawks, and two, the late July, August days in Seattle. For those people who know the area, of course, know that it's absolutely gorgeous there and, and, and during that time, and people want to go out and be active and do things and i get that at the same time it's also gorgeous on the camp the lake union campus at vmac where the seahawks hold their training camp and so i certainly would encourage any seahawk fans out there if you have the opportunity to go to training camp then i certainly would recommend that you do so to me for for someone who you know, grew up loving the sport of football um and, and just the idea of professional athletes and things like that there are very few opportunities that you get uh where you are in, in such an intimate setting that you really do get to see the players with their helmets removed and mingling with fans mingling with teammates mingling with coaches and things like that uh and, and it's just a really kind of cool 
uh, experience. Uh, and again, it's just beautiful. So I definitely would encourage any Seahawks fans who have not yet experienced this uh, to definitely take advantage of this opportunity. And Dallas, you and I were talking before the show. You actually have not been able to attend a Seahawks training camp practice before. So I'm going to piggyback off what Rob just said. And just in general for Seahawks fans, if you have never been to a training camp practice and you have the ability to get out to one of these dates, you should absolutely be taking advantage of it. If there is a time that you can take advantage of it, it is right now. Because if the Seahawks have the season that many of us envision they're going to, I'm thinking next year that the training camp tickets will probably fly off of the shelves, so to speak, much quicker than this. The fact that there is eight dates still available where I'm assuming there's not a lot of tickets for a lot of those dates, but still there's the opportunity to bring a friend or bring a family member and go check it out. I, I know Dallas, from your perspective, it's something you'd be really excited about to get to go to the berm and be able to look down and, and watch the team practice the opportunity for autographs and all the different things that go on that you quite frankly can't get at an NFL game. Training camp just provides a very unique experience. Exactly. As Rob said, it's, a much more intimate setting than you would get in a normal other place to go see an NFL talent. And I think for fans, why some fans aren't coming to the training camp practices compared to those seasons where the Legion of Boom era, yes, the Legion of Boom era was a lot more talented, but I think it was also the personalities on that team. You had Marshawn Lynch, Richard Sherman, Later in your career, more Russell Wilson becoming more of a personality. And as Rob said, he made the comparison to Taylor Swift. All of those guys were rock stars in the league. Their personalities were a show themselves. So fans just wanted to be a part of that. And I think that was a huge factor in why fans just gravitated toward that era of Seahawks football. Yeah, I think you make a really good point there. And that's not taking anything away. I don't know that the talent discrepancy is that wide compared to the team now from back then. There's a lot of star power on this current Seahawks team, but you don't have those really vocal rock star types, as you mentioned. You just don't. Uh, I think maybe the closest things that you have, Bobby Wagner and Quandre Diggs are probably the two. And sometimes DK. It depends on what day of the week it is. But they don't really have those big personalities that really made fans from other teams either despise the Seahawks or, you know, rev- you know we're, we're going to revere these guys because they are rock stars. And Seahawks don't necessarily have guys like that right now. But you don't have to have players like that to be a winning football team necessarily. So real quick, Rob, I know that we wanted to do this for, for our fans that haven't been to training camp or people like Dallas, you know, that someday hope to go to training camp. We've got a little bit of a unique perspective. You from the scouting angle, me from the beat writer angle, where we've been able to see some really funny things. We've gotten to see some exciting things in training camp over the years. What's one story that jumps out to you from your experiences at the VMAC that you'd like to share here? Yeah, there's just so many of them. Uh, you know, I, I've been attending training camp practices. Uh, I'm very fortunate to do so. Um, but all the way back to when it was held in Cheney at the Eastern Washington University campus. Um, and people you know, were melding on the field. Exactly. Uh, and so there's just a, a lot of them. I mean, anything from 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 arguing with, with other members of the media uh, about whether or not a, a 5'10 quarterback could be successful in today's NFL uh, up on the berm and trying to kind of get that about 
evaluation or, you know, hitching a ride with the late, great uh, John Clayton. Uh, and again, back in Eastern Washington, those training camp practices were so darn hot that you just had to find shade just about anywhere. I, I think when it comes down to, uh, you know, as far as just being on the berm, kind of mingling with, uh, you know, fans and, and just kind of having conversations with people and just all the different player experiences, I, I think it really kind of goes back to something that Dallas said about the just the rock star kind of, uh, you know, mentality and, and persona of, of some of the past players. So just watching Marshawn Lynch, watching Russell Wilson, um, the, the way that Marshawn would, would carry himself as far as just like, you know, he, he's just everybody wants to watch him. He's so entertaining, but also the the kindness with which he, he showed the children, especially uh, Russell Wilson. I mean, after every single practice, the way that he would go through and just sign, you know, who knows, no, hundreds uh, of autographs. I, I just always thought that that really showed the, these guys as, as men. And, and I think that, again, that's a, a different type of experience that, that fans really would appreciate if they do ever get the opportunity uh, to take part in something like this. For me, I always go back to this story, and, and I've now been covering training camps for the Seahawks for four years. This will be my fifth year that I get to do it this year. I'm blessed to be able to be on the field and get a close look at these players leading up to the season. But Greg Bell of the Tacoma News Tribune and I are in the back corner on the field closest to the berm, and Seattle's offensive and defensive linemen are doing one-on-ones, which is my favorite drill in all of training camp because you get to find out who the men are in that drill and Al Woods forklifts Kyle Fuller and I know Kyle Fuller was a backup center but we're still talking a 310 315 pound lineman he forklifted him and he threw him five full yards like we're talking a whole section of the field chucked him five yards I turn it and Greg Bell's not one to get super, you know, excited or, you know, he's seen a lot of training camp practices, but Greg's just sitting there like <laughs> two of us are just jaws dropping. Cause I I've never seen a defensive lineman or an offensive lineman take another 300 plus pound man and do that just forklift it and throw him. So that is always going to be an experience that I'm going to remember just because anytime you mentioned training camp, I'm like, well, remember that time that Al Woods did that to one of his teammates and, just showed off that country strength coming from Louisiana. I highly recommend to the 12s to at least make it out to one training camp practice. If you haven't done it before, now is a really good time to do it. And make sure to check out their website and you can get tickets to go attend one of these eight open practices that still has some availability. Coming up next here, we're going to continue our training camp preview to what's going to happen on the field with the linebackers, some old faces, some new faces, Definitely some changes there. How does the group compare to last year's unit in the middle of Seattle's defense? We'll be taking a close look here on our Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by FanDuel. Take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's 200 You can spend betting everything from the money line to the over under to who you think is going to hit the first home run of the day, all on the app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on the major leagues than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. 
You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined by a pair of co-hosts today, Rob Rang and Dallas Cooper. A special thanks to all the 12s out there. We greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And for our everydayers, we're going to continue our forecast Friday segment tomorrow. We're going to be taking a look at where Noah Fant at the tight end position is projected to produce this season with all the weapons around him. How's he going to perform in his second year in Seattle? And on the defensive side of the ball, we'll be taking a look at Kobe Bryant as well. So you won't want to miss a jam-packed episode coming up on Friday. Let's talk linebackers, shall we? This is a unit that has been one of the pillars of the Seahawks for the last decade plus. For most of the Pete Carroll era, they have had elite linebacker play, and there's really two names behind that, Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright. Now, obviously, K.J. is now retired, but Bobby Wagner is coming back for his second stint in Seattle. He's going to be rejoining Jordan Brooks, who's coming back from a torn ACL, and Devin Bush, the newcomer coming over from Pittsburgh, a former first-round pick out of Michigan. And Dallas, I'm going to dish the essential question to you first, and then we'll get some of Rob's thoughts on this. But you look at last season, Cody Barton was a starter replacing Bobby Wagner. Jordan Brooks was – he had the green dot for the first time. He took the captain reins of that defense, calling the plays on the field. But it was an inconsistent group. And now you bring back Bobby Wagner, you bring in Devin Bush. The real question here is – how much better is this group than last year's group or how much better could this group be? Because there are some uncertainties here at this position. Factoring in the Brooks injury, factoring in that Devin Bush is also not the same as he was when he was a first round pick coming out because of injury. Now, if he gets that health back again, this is a different story, but Bobby Wagner coming back and replacing Cody Barton does not make them better in coverage. And that's specifically, especially in today's game, that's where you're evaluating your linebackers, pass coverage. Now, in run defense was a big problem for Seattle, and I think Wagner was a big reason on why they wanted to bring him back. And they wanted to make sure they could focus on stopping the run game and not allowing the same thing to happen again. But in terms of pass coverage, the responsibilities that Barton and Brooks were asked to do, the Seahawks are not going to be asking Wagner to do the same things. Barton and Brooks were tasked with um, intermediate routes and very difficult matchups, oftentimes matching up with three receivers in the slot, having to carry them vertically, sometimes even on crossers. Yes, they had plays where they gave up routes, but it was because of the difficulty in what they were being asked to do. Wagner's not going to be asked to do the same thing. Seattle's probably going to be adjusting scheme. So for me, no, they're not better than they were last year. I think that's an excellent point, Dallas. I'm happy that you made it. I'm going to take a, a slightly rosier uh, approach to it, um, but I but I, I think that that's very fair with the points that you just made. And, and again, I think that if the Seahawks do ask Bobby Wagner to to play the same type of roles that they asked Cody Barton and Jordan Brooks to do, then he will struggle. He did struggle two years ago in Seattle. I mean, I was among those who said that basically he was not worth the money that they were paying uh, paying him, and was not at all surprised when the you know there was that the divorce uh, that basically happened between the Seahawks and Bobby Wagner. I, I 100% agree with you. However, in the in the in the, spe- in the respect that that Wagner is very very good still in, in terms of his ability as a run defender, and I think that he showed that he still has something left in the tank in terms of uh, his explosiveness as a 
pass rusher if the Seahawks would allow him to rush the passer as aggressively as the Rams did a year ago. I mean, there, there's a reason why Wagner had such a spectacular year uh, uh, you know, last season for the Rams. Um, I, I'm also intrigued by the athleticism that Devin Bush, I still believe, has. Whether or not he can remain durable, that, that's a whole other question. I also am really intrigued by the athleticism of Vi Jones specifically, as well as the return of John Radigan. Uh, I, I think that Radigan is not the, the type of dynamic athlete that's suddenly going to transform Seattle's ability to defend those intermediate passes with his coverage, but he can be another big physical run defender. Vi Jones impressed both Corbin and I, uh, we had an opportunity to see him in person at the, at the rookie mini camps a year ago. The two other players on in, uh, that are listed on the depth chart, for those of you watching on YouTube, you know the other names on there. Patrick O'Connell, the rookie from Montana, Cam Bright, the rookie from University of Washington. Again, they're, they're both rookies. They're both undrafted guys. It's going to be interesting to see if any of these undrafted rookies are able to make Seattle's roster. But again, we're talking about some dynamic athletes that, that might be able to help Seattle in the coverage. But again, going back Back to the point that Dallas made just real quickly. I think that we are going to see Seattle transition more. Of course, they brought in uh, Julian Love to be able to give them a little bit of that more that three safety look. I think that's the way that they're going to try to address the, you know, the, the, the huge holes that were found in the intermediary, intermediary zones in the passing game that really forced Seattle's uh, linebacker or caused Seattle's linebackers to struggle as much as they did a year ago. I know that this is not what fans necessarily want to hear. They want to hear a definitive answer, that this is going to be a better group or it's not going to be a better group. I'm just going to be honest with you. I have absolutely no damn clue if this group is going to be better. And that's not because I haven't put the time in. I mean, I've watched these guys. I watched all of Bobby Wagner's games with the Rams last year. We saw him in person against the Seahawks, his former team, now current team, twice. I'm just curious how much the Seahawks are going to do things the Rams did with Bobby Wagner and try to mix that in with their scheme because he did blitz more and he was extremely effective. Six sacks, a career high last year. And I feel like the way the Rams deployed him in coverage where they weren't asking him to cover so much ground and carry verticals up the seam and things like that, it, it puts a lot of strain in other positions if you try to handle it like that. But if you're playing a lot of nickel sets and you've got an extra safety, like a Julian Love, who can handle those coverage responsibilities, even Jamal Adams playing tight ends and running backs, you have the flexibility to be able to do that and maybe be able to mitigate some of those athleticism declines that have led to some coverage issues for Bobby Wagner. And the Rams were able to do that last season. Their defense wasn't great, but they weren't bad either. The offense is really what held them back and led them having five wins last year. But my point is there's some uncertainty there with how they're going to use him. And he has said publicly that there's going to be a mix of what he used to do and what he did last season, which that may be the way they need to do it. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, a dash of salt, a dash of pepper, so that we can try to run the scheme we want to, but get the most out of Bobby Wagner now at the age of 33. And then you've got Devin Bush. What are you going to get from him? Is he going to be the player that he was a rookie when he was a finalist for rookie of the year? Or is it going to be the guy the last two years that has lost his starting job two different times because he has not been the same player and he's played tentative and the athleticism hadn't necessarily been there. Are you going to get that player that was pre-injury or are you going to get the post-injury player, which I don't know if he's a difference maker. 
with the way that he plays. And then Jordan Brooks, there's the big wild card here. When's he available? And we saw a video of him a couple of days ago that was posted, and he looks like he's moving extremely well, considering he just had his surgery in January. But still, his surgery was in January. If he's going to be back in week one, that is a, a Adrian Peterson-type recovery. So there's a chance you still might not have him at the beginning of the season. So that is a big X factor in all this. So I really feel like – and you guys can weigh on this as well, but it, it really feels like this is kind of one of those to-be-determined type things just because there are enough question marks here of different types of factors, whether it's utilizing an aging player like Bobby Wagner or what are you going to get from Devin Bush or when is Jordan Brooks going to be back? Is somebody like Vi Jones going to sneak into the mix here? I mean, there's just so many questions that we're not going to have answers to until we get into camp. And that's the honest truth here. I think there's a lot of intrigue here. There's a lot of upside in this group, but I could also see if things don't work out that there could be some problems still at this position. Yeah, I would just kind of jump in here. I think that's one of the reasons we talked about this in the first segment of today's show, that why Seahawks fans should absolutely be up on the berm and watching just to kind of see who was able to, to handle the mental reps. Obviously, there's no tackle, tackling allowed in training camp. And so that is, of course, the most critical thing here when it comes to linebacker play. That's where I do believe that Seattle should see improvement. There, there were some whiffs from you know some of the Seahawks linebackers who are currently on the roster as well as those who are not uh, a year ago. And I believe that Bobby Wagner is one of the most reliable one-on-one open field tacklers in the game. That's why he's a future Hall of Famer. So I do think in that respect that you are going to see some improvement. And I, I mentioned him, you mentioned him a moment ago again, Corbin, as well. Vi Jones, to me, is the athletic wild card. He is the guy that we were both just really impressed by his length and his speed um, You know, a year ago. And of course, was on the practice squad for, for a long last year. I'm curious how much bigger and stronger that, that he became. Um, so to me, he is the wild card that we should be mentioning here. Uh, Devin Bush, again, is absolutely a wild card as well, but at least you kind of have some feel for what he is. But I'll say this with, with Vi Jones. When I went back and, and had seen him at the on, on the, uh, the practice squad, or excuse me, the May rookie minicamp, um, and just was like, wow, who is this guy? This is somebody I definitely need to watch more tape on. And then watched him on tape, I was like, this guy should have been drafted. This is absolutely a steal. And so, again, I really do think that this is a, a possible NFL starting caliber linebacker that the Seahawks kind of have laying in the weeds right now that those those fans should be watching from the berm to kind of see what, what Vi Jones might be able to do. But again, Dallas, I think he's pointing out here, there's uncertainty. Like, he's 10 pounds heavier, I can tell you that. He's gained 10 pounds of muscle. So, there's reason to be optimistic, but at the same time, Vi Jones has played in like three games in the NFL and he's just been a special teams guy. So yeah. there's just so many question marks here that it's kind of tough. It's kind of tough to tell, kind of tough to gauge what this linebacker group is going to look like. As we were saying, if the Seahawks coaching staff is willing to compensate for Wagner's athleticism, not being the same as it was in his prime, then we could still be looking at a very productive season from Wagner. As Rob said, Wagner is still one of the best open field tacklers, not just in today, but in the history of the game. And Wagner was getting better as a pass rusher and being used more as a pass rusher with the Rams. So if Seattle is willing to kind of integrate that into their system, Wagner is really looking like it could be a productive season, especially with the mix of Jordan Brooks, if he's healthy. To me, that's the biggest X factor. If Jordan Brooks is healthy, this is going to look a lot better than if he has to wait until week six or week eight to come back. 
Yeah, and again, it's uncertainty. We just don't know. And, and what I've been told is that they are really, they're hopeful that Jordan Brooks is going to be ready for week one. But we've seen with these guys coming off injuries, even if he's available in week one, he might not be fully Jordan Brooks at that point too. It takes guys time to get back into the swing of things. So this is truly one of the most intriguing position groups just because there are so many question marks from the top to the bottom of the depth chart in regards to the scheme health, age, you name it. It's going to be an interesting group to look at. There's no question about it. Swinging to our 90-man countdown. Guys, we are now going to be going into the 30s. We're past the halfway point, and we're going to start with a player who, under the radar, I think is going to be a very important piece for this Seahawks defense. He was signed in May, and we saw last year Marquise Goodwin was signed in May and he was their number three receiver, gave them some valuable reps. So sometimes those late veteran signings can end up paying dividends. And Mario Edwards is a guy that can play three tech. He can play big end. He can play as a stand-up edge. You can move him all over the defensive line. And even though the sack numbers aren't there, Rob, this is a guy that had a career high 34 quarterback pressures last year. So he's capable and he's a really sound run defender historically. Yeah, 34 quarterback pressures, as you mentioned, 11 quarterback hits, just three sacks. And that's pretty much the way that his career has gone. He's been in the NFL now for, for eight seasons. He has 19 and a half sacks during that time. Uh, you know, he's a bit of a German. Uh, he, he's played with five different clubs, Oakland, uh, Chicago, New Orleans, the Giants and, and Tennessee. Um, and so, you know, he's he is a veteran. He has kind of played in both the four, uh, traditional four, three, traditional three, four, um, and, and certainly has the versatility that you're the experience you're looking for. Six, three, 280 pounds. He's got some burst to him as a pass rusher. He's got some power. He's not like he's, he's kind of one of those guys who can do a lot of a little bit of everything for you and i think that's one of the reasons why he has never become a star in the nfl but he's played i think it's 199 career games uh, of that he's started 32 of them so basically starting a third of the games in which he's played in the nfl to me i, I sometimes will, will mix my sports analogies and metaphors this is not your you know frontline top you know pitcher this is not your number one but this is one of those back end of the rotation guys that can be that stop starter he can be that kind of long relief kind of a guy uh again i realize this is not a baseball podcast but i, I think that that's where seattle sees uh we sees mario edwards value and for uh for this club and i, I love them the fact that you mentioned marquise goodwin i think that that's a very similar type of a situation here in that mario edwards is a player that not a lot of fans are going to know much about but at the same time, there is a scenario in which he plays a huge role for the Seahawks in 2023. And Pete Carroll's made it sound like he's going to be battling against Jaron Reed for a starting spot. So you got yep. two veterans that have played a lot of football that are going to be battling to start across from Draymond Jones. And we're assuming Cameron Young at the nose tackle position, swinging over to the offense. We just mentioned Marquise Goodwin. One of the reasons that Marquise Goodwin had kind of a breakout season in terms of bouncing back it had been a few years since he had had a really productive year one of the reasons he had those opportunities was because again d eskridge could not stay healthy and missed a bunch of games again last season only had seven receptions on the year dallas a lot of fans have been ready to just move on from d eskridge and drafting jackson smith and jigba in the first round is certainly going to facilitate that because now that's your number three receiver, most likely. Eskridge now being the number four guy. But at the same time, there's going to be less pressure on him now. He doesn't ha have to step up to be that guy. He's just got to 
stay healthy. And from everything that's been reported coming out of their mini camp, this is maybe potentially a player that if he can just stay healthy, that out of nowhere is going to play up to his potential, which could really take this offense to a whole other level. The skill sets that Eskridge and Jackson Smith and Jigbo have are both really different. Jackson Smith and Jigbo is going to win in the underneath game via his quick change of direction, his ability on knowing the zone windows, his his route ability. Now Eskridge is going to win based off of explosiveness, his yak ability, and his ability to get off the line of scrimmage and beat you 40 yards down the field. Eskridge has that game-breaking speed and athleticism that you want. And specifically with Shane Waldron as your OC, that slot receiver oftentimes is going to be in jet motions, oftentimes going to be getting free releases because of that. And for Waldron-like offenses, the slot receiver looks oftentimes more like D. Eskridge than it does a guy like Jackson Smith Jigbo. So Eskridge still, to me, has a role in this offense, especially in under center when you're getting these jet motions, fly sweeps, and the fact that he's even a threat on those. That's big for a Waldron-like offense, especially when you want to run the ball off of that as well. Yeah, I think that that's the thing that is getting lost maybe for some fans. And not that Smith and Jigba couldn't do something like that, but that's not his game. He's not known as a gadget player that is going to get – handoffs and he's going to run jet sweeps and stuff and D Eskridge they've gotten too predictable with that at times but this is another player if you could learn to run screens I feel like D Eskridge could be a really dangerous player on screens too so I agree with you that there's still value there the key is he's just got to stay healthy this has truly been a case where this has been a guy he hasn't been on the field enough to really get into a rhythm and now there is less pressure on him so maybe this is a year that we see all those tools come together and then you could have a four-headed monster at the receiver position. Good luck to opposing defensive coordinators trying to scheme up how to slow down that passing offense. In order for the passing offense to take off, though, the pass protection is going to have to be on point so that Geno Smith has time to get the football to his receivers. And that leads us to the right guard position. And Anthony Bradford, fourth-round pick coming out of LSU. Rob, he's going to have an opportunity to compete to start right away against Phil Haynes. Haynes is going to be in the driver's seat to start training camp, but Haynes doesn't have, incredibly, because Haynes is a good athlete, he is not the athlete that Anthony Bradford is, though, at 330-plus pounds. You don't see very many guards that can move the way that Anthony Bradford can. And, oh, by the way, he'll knock your teeth out as a punishing run blocker so that is something that was missing from this offense last year, not just in the pass protection aspect, but somebody that could really push the line of scrimmage. And that's why we saw some of the struggles we saw in the run game. Bradford could be a guy that could immediately be a factor improving that right out of the game. I, I hope so. I, I don't know if that's going to be the case. I, I think, you know, I, I thought that just going back for a moment was one of the things that Dallas was saying. I think that he articulated it very well and just the way that Jackson Smith and Jigba and uh, D. Eskridge are very different players, despite obviously both playing the wide receiver position. Anthony Bradford, in a lot of ways, Corbin, actually kind of reminds me a little bit of a young Phil Haynes when he was coming out of Wake Forest a few years ago, and that I do see the athleticism, it, not necessarily in terms the time drills um, because Phil Haynes had a, a pretty solid workout a couple of years back, but certainly not the way that, that Bradford did uh, during the, his combine show. As you mentioned, I mean, 330 pounds. I mean, he was just absolutely dynamic in terms of his speed, his change of direction for a big man. It, it's pretty rare to see a guy that size 
be able to move the way that he can and play the left tackle position, played the right tackle position called upon as well. So again, that's demonstration of his athletic ability. At the same time, I do definitely see much more peaks and valleys in his game than uh, you, you would like to see for a guy that might be asked to come in and play immediately. That's why, as you said, I 100% agree that Phil Haynes is the likely starter at this point. I think the Bradford can push him. I think the Bradford is a future starter in the NFL. I just would be surprised if Bradford ultimately winds up winning this job out of camp or even early in the season, unless Phil Haynes himself struggles with consistency, which could happen. He, of course, hasn't started that many games yet, but I just think that he is a little bit more pro-ready at this point to kind of seize that role. Looking at the next player on our countdown, the Seahawks are hoping that they don't have to see him play any snaps. He didn't play any snaps last year, but the backup quarterback is an incredibly important position because if Geno Smith gets banged up, you're going to need Drew Locke to be able to step in and run your offense. And there's still a lot of confidence in him within the Seahawks organization. And Dallas, that's why they brought him back on a one-year deal. You look at the two preseason games that he played in last year. He was really good in Pittsburgh, and it looked like maybe he was gaining ground on Geno Smith. Then he gets COVID doesn't play in the second preseason game. And then his final audition against the Dallas Cowboys throws not one, not two, but three interceptions. And that has really been what has held him back in the NFL has been the mistakes and the interceptions in bunches. But still, this is still a 26-year-old quarterback that still has a lot of the physical tools to be a starter. And so that makes him maybe a better backup than a lot of teams have in the NFL. He definitely is a better backup than most teams have in the NFL. And just as you talked about, an immense amount of physical tools that you would want in a quarterback. Raw athletic ability to be able to extend the play and look down the field. The throw power to be able to throw anything you want, wherever you wanted it. The natural swag on the field. Drew Locke just looks like a dude who's comfortable being a quarterback, being the guy that everyone looks to. He seems to relish in that. However, the consistency hasn't been there, and that's why he hasn't been a stable starter in the NFL since being drafted. And unfortunately, he risked the ball too often, and sometimes the decision-making, he trusts his arm a little too much. Now, he has a better arm than probably 90% of NFL quarterbacks. He just needs to hone that in more and his decision-making. Now, that was a huge thing last year, as you were alluding to in the battle between Locke and Smith, was who was going to win it. But knowing Pete and going from what Pete's wanted in quarterback, decision-making is one of the hugest factors. So that's the reason why Locke is still a backup. But he is better than most backups in today's game. I feel like if they got in a position where Smith did miss a little bit of time, that they at least would feel comfortable. Drew Locke has won some games in the NFL. He has started a bunch of games in the NFL so that would be a player that would at least give him a chance to be competitive. And he now is in his second season in this scheme. We've seen what Shane Waldron can do with quarterbacks. We've seen what Pete Carroll can do with quarterbacks dating back to USC. And so they do have confidence in him. If they didn't, they wouldn't have brought him back. And they did give him $4 million, which is pretty good money for a backup quarterback too. So that tells you where the organization stands as far as what they think of him going into his second season with the Seahawks. And wrapping up this section of the countdown, I think all of us are going to have to weigh in on this one because Jason Myers, 
This has truly been a Jekyll and Hyde player for the Seattle Seahawks, and it's been even and odd years. And we've talked about this so many times in the podcast. Last year was an even season, and look at the phenomenal numbers that Jason Myers had. 34 for 37 on field goals. He was 6 for 6 from 50-plus yards. He was money. 41 out of 42 PATs. And you look at his career track record, uh, that is a really – good set of numbers there because he has actually missed quite a few PATs. In fact, he's missed more PATs than any kicker in NFL history. Not necessarily history you want to make, but he was one of the best kickers in the league last season. He was selected by the NFLPA to all pro team. And yet, Rob, we are a little bit hesitant because guess what? It's 2023 and that is an odd number. And we've seen what has happened for Jason Myers and the two other odd seasons he's had in Seattle. Yeah, and I don't want to overstate that. I mean, I, just because, I mean, at his absolute worst, the, the absolute worst uh, season that he had statistically came back in 2017, odd season, and we hit 73.3% of his field goals, 11 of 15. The 2021 in Seattle, he hit 73.9% of his field goals, 17 of 23 with a long of 53 yards. And you mentioned the fact that, uh, you know, it is a fact that he has missed more PATs than any uh, kicker that has been around for more than a couple of seasons as a starter in the NFL. But his career completion rate in uh, in extra points is just under or just over, excuse me, 91%, 91.2%. So again, nine out of 10. Uh, uh, in this last year, he made 97.6% career high in his extra points, only missing the one. So I, I, Jason Myers is a two-time Pro Bowl kicker. He is among probably the five or six best kickers in all of the NFL, but it does been a little bit up and down. And when you play the kind of ball control game that the Seahawks play, then it's critical. But to me, one of the, the factors that I think is, uh, you know, kind of comforts you about Jason Myers is even when his accuracy has kind of gone up and down a little bit, when it's been time for money kicks, then I think that he has shown metal that very few kickers in today's NFL have demonstrated, at least with his consistency. And so to me, again, that's why I think that he is a terrific fit for the Seahawks and why he is, is, is justly placed here as being one of the top 30 to 35 players on Seattle's roster. And Dallas, you know, some people might look at the contract the Seahawks gave him, the amount of money they're investing in a kicker, and they might be saying, well, that could be better spent elsewhere. But this is truly one of those positions where you're willing to shortchange until – that replacement kicker comes in and botches a chance for you to go to the NFC championship game. So it feels like paying a little more for somebody that you really know that's reliable, like Jason Myers uh, is a investment that's well worth it. I've, I, one of the best quotes I ever heard was, I don't remember exactly who said it, but said the kicker is the only position on an NFL team where no one else can do his job. No one else on that team is going to be able to, all of a sudden kick a 50-yard field goal with three seconds left in the game. Like, kickers, as you said, no one wants to pay them until the game is on the line, you want to go to the Super Bowl, and you got your vet minimum contract out there, and you know he's going to miss it more than likely. That's all of a sudden when you want to pay more. And as Rob said, Myers has been money when it's on the line. And he will continue to be, I'm going to call that, he's going to break the curse this year, and he's finally <laughs> going to have a great, great year. I'm going to hold that to you, Dallas, because if he has another rough oh, yeah. season, we're going to say that it's your fault that you continued the curse by trying to 
play an anti-jinx on it. But we'll see. I'm hoping that he's able to do it. And it's not like he's been the worst kicker in the league in his odd seasons. He just hasn't been near as good as the even years. Maybe sure. with that new contract, he bucks that trend this year. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang and Dallas at Dallas C. Cooper. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to podcasts to ensure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up on our Blue Friday show, we'll have Forecast Friday. We'll be diving into Noah Fant as well as Kobe Bryant expectations for the upcoming season and revisiting what they did last year. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in and enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Go Hawks.